Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Lori, for accompanying this morning. Um, one of the tasks of the church is to steward the gifts that are within it. And so uh, if we could just get Zach to learn how to sing a little bit, it might be. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, as a guy who's been through all the vocal training, I, I always, you know, had a distaste for people like Zach who could just boom. <laughs> I had to work really hard. Here's Zach just making it happen. No, it's good. We're thankful for, um, for the opportunity to worship and for the celebration of baptism. And it's one of those things, uh, you know, it's a little bit off routine and hadn't done it in a, in a while. And I've got uh, all these things I have to put on and this Bible I need to use and all these this stuff. So I have to remember where did I put it all. And, and I, okay, I've got the microphone. I, I'm, I'm going to put my phone down so it's not buzzing in my pocket. I've got the Bible here. I think we're ready to roll. Um, I want to start today in a different spot, but it's an appropriate spot to the passage in which we, uh, we journey today. It's a familiar passage to most of us, and I didn't mark it, so uh, I've got to dig it out. But Isaiah chapter 53, let's stand as we read God's Word together. And are reminded of what Christ has done for us and the penalty paid. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
I am humbled by your words, Lord, even knowing that these were written hundreds of years before they would be fulfilled. I pray, God, now that you give us your grace to understand the depth, the gravity of our sin and to realize the hope you offer us by taking, as it says here, our transgressions, our iniquities on your body. In Jesus' name. Maybe see it. Prophecy of Isaiah, one of the more lengthy passages in the Bible. We see so much about our Messiah. We see prophecy of his birth. We see prophecy of his life. And, and here we see the description even of his death. And I think only Psalm 22 could come more personal than this about the, the suffering by which our Savior would, would die. Those words prove to us that the entirety of the Bible is a Jesus book. It's all pointing to him. The Old Testament points forward to his coming and his fulfillments. The, the Gospels tell of that fulfillment. And then the, the life of the apostles after Jesus' ascension tell us how then we should live. And ultimately, Revelation shows what his return would be. And what we find fulfilled is a penalty for something that we were oblivious to. You know, we think that we can handle all these things ourselves. The fact is, is that we cannot. And there was one who knew that he could. And he did. The creator of all with the eternal perspective puts on flesh and takes the form of a servant. And it says here, that he was crushed in verse 5 for our iniquities and with his wounds, by his stripes, other translations would say, we are healed. So we come to the moment in the Gospels where we see this happen, where this fulfillment occurs, and that is Mark chapter 15. And we're going to go there and we're going to actually read what we read last week and the passage forward to it because it draws us to a picture of, of the fulfillment and the plan that God had the whole time for our salvation, for His glory. And one of the things that came back to my mind, I haven't said it for a while, but I have said it a lot from this spot. It's not about me. And it's not about you. It's all about Him. It's about what He has done for His glory that we might offer our lives in the same way. Remember, Jesus teaches in His Gospels, to take up our cross daily to follow Him. And that is the, the sense of the sacrifice that Jesus calls us to now. And I think a lot of times we, we try to prove to ourselves how worthy we are. We think that we can take up our cross, what I want to lay down. But when Jesus says to take up your cross, it means to, to give up all of your preferences. And how do we know that? By what Jesus endures right here. 
as the suffering serpent, as the one who was, who was given over for the sin of us all. Mark chapter 15. I won't make you stand up again. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered to him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And, and Pilate said to, to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What is evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I don't know about you, but as I, as I read that passage, I see a whole lot of Isaiah 53. Here, the fascinating thing to me here is that, that everyone involved is at fault. One in a righteous manner, and others in unrighteous. Because Jesus knew this is why He came. And remember, earlier in His ministry, He escaped such judgment, right? When He was teaching the crowds and He healed people and He stirred up the crowds, what did He do? They pushed Him to the cliff and then He disappeared. He walked through them and, and disappeared. They couldn't find Him. Why? Because His time had not yet come. He understood why He came. You want purpose in your life, look at what Jesus did. He knew there was a time, He knew there was a place, and He knew there, there was a season for this to happen. And remember the season that the Jews are celebrating, this feast was the Passover. This feast of remembrance of how God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. And he comes to his word here and he reminds us that that pure spotless lamb that was offered was a picture of this Christ to come. Because when the, the blood was put over the doorpost, the angel of death passed over that house and ignored it. But those who had not taken that step of trust and obedience and seen that sacrifice happen, they lost the firstborn. Here, Jesus, in the Passover dinner the night before, that seems like a long time ago, right? The night before, he says, you will see this fulfilled. And this is where it happens. There's all kinds of things happening here. Last week, we talked about the question of, of Pilate, of the, of the Gentile, of the Roman here. 
and, and Pilate asks him, as we have account in the Gospel of John, what is truth? And Jesus had previously answered his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. You want to know why Jesus is being crucified? It's because he makes that claim. That is the crime for which he is being prosecuted. That he and the Father are one. Is it the truth? Yes. So by their law, by their mind, their execution of this preacher was justified. What they didn't realize was that God had this plan the whole time. That the righteous lamb would die for our iniquities, for our sin. The people called for his crucifixion. Now at the feast, he would release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. There's some controversy in history about what exactly this was, but all four Gospels have accounts of this. And among the rebels in prison who committed murder, a murderer in this insurrection of whatever had happened, we don't have any historical record beyond this, of, but we, we know that it doesn't take a lot to get a crowd riled up. This man had committed murder. He was awaiting that cross. There was a man called Barabbas. The crowd comes up and they they ask Pilate to do something for them, as he usually would do. Pilate, being merciful, would release someone during the feast. And Pilate still sees, and we see the evidence of it here as we read it, he sees that this is a political issue before him. This guy had rocked the boat. And he, had, he, he knew that these priests were just really trying to get rid of this guy who had not, done nothing wrong. But of all things, what was Pilate? He was a politician. And this was a political decision for him. This is an eternal decision from the Father. He perceived in verse 10 that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. The chief priests kept stirring up the crowd and they, they wanted to release Barabbas instead. Can you imagine what was going through that guy's mind? He knew what he did. He was as wicked as it was to come. And you know what? It, and, and, I, and I've known a lot of people who've done some bad things. What is the one thing that they do want to experience? They want to get away with it. He'd been caught. Now, I won't assume anybody in here to be a murderer. Although, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, we can have that conversation. But what do we want to experience when we know we've done something wrong? We just want to, we don't want anybody to find out. But this guy was caught. He gets away with it. But ultimately, that penalty does return to him. We don't know what happens to Barabbas after this. But just think, he, he knows who Jesus is probably. He's at least by name, seeing this preacher wandering around. And he knows that there's some kind of ruckus going on outside of his jail cell. He's released. 
Do you think he stuck around to watch? I don't think so. <laughs> I think he, he made for Dodge City or wherever you go from there, right? He's on his way to, to Galilee or, or to Egypt, getting out as far as he possibly could. Chances are he probably returned to his old ways. And that, friends, that's the kind of grace that God gives us. He'll let us return to our own ways. Because he desires to have a loving relationship with us. He's not going to force us to come to him. He may have his hand upon us, but he gives us that choice. And here we see this exchange happen. The righteous for the unrighteous. This is where the transaction happens on earth. The one who had done no wrong was given over for a murderer. And in our minds, and I think it would probably be the same in this day, if we grade sin, we would call that one the worst. Right? I mean, not, sin is not good. And, and Scripture defines sin as sin. And, and it, you know, one sin telling a lie is not any different than adultery or murder or, or, or whatever because the wage of sin is death. But in our minds, we have a hierarchy, right? Get the little white lie, and then way up there you have things like adultery and a murder and all the really bad people do stuff like that. I'm not like them. But here, Christ... The righteous one, Jesus, is put on the cross, receives the sentence of the one who is the chief of sinners. Now, Paul calls himself that. And we know Paul was a murderer. He admitted it. He persecuted the church. He was on his way to Damascus to... to to find those who had gone the way, <laughs> had followed the way. And Jesus got a hold of him and saved him. Here's the deal, is that any one of us could have been in the place of Barabbas by virtue of the law. And in this moment, the people cried for Barabbas, and Pilate said, that's fine, have him. In the other Gospels, we see a picture of Pilate washing his hands. What did that signify? The cleansing of the guilt. He said, this is on you guys. Now, was it on Pilate as well? Yes. But Pilate was saying, I'm, I don't find any fault in this guy. But then... After the cries of crucify him, he has him scourged. And we see in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. This scourging was designed to kill you. It says in this place that, that in other places that it was by one stroke short of what they believed would kill him. Paul described it as 40 strokes minus one. 39 whips. And the cat of nine tails was an atrocious instrument of torture. 
and they mocked him. Again, in the other Gospels, we see that they clothed him as a king. And they spat upon him. And he received our penalty. The righteous one took the stripes. But even hundreds of years before, we see the purpose of those stripes. They were for our salvation. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. I think justifiably, and we're going to get there within the, the next three or four weeks here, we end up focusing on the cross. And in our tradition, we use an empty cross because he's not there. But let's not forget the stripes before he was put there. Because in prophecy, those stripes are what bring our healing. And they were at the hand of sinful men. And we can blame the Jews, we can blame the Gentiles, we can do whatever. Everybody here had a responsibility in that. And then there was Jesus. He walked out of this kind of situation before. And he had this conversation with Pilate along the way where, where he could have had his escape. But he knew it was his time and his place. And he had told his disciples that that would happen. There is nothing that we can do to take away our guilt and sin. I'm just going to leave that here. But I also want to show you that God knew that. Let's go turn over into uh, the Gospel of John. Chapter 10. Jesus is speaking about being the good shepherd, which is interesting as he talks about being a lamb led to slaughter. There's going to be one verse on the screen, but I'm going to get there starting in about verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. From eternity past, God's plan for you and for me was the cross. And he came to fulfill his word in his time, in his day, in his place was the cross. 
And yes, he was punished unjustly. Yes, he was crucified wickedly. But what does it say here? He laid down his life. What kind of person does that? One who loves. Jesus knew that we couldn't do it. And he knew he was there to fulfill a certain time. And he knew that it would take a perfect, spotless sacrifice to bring us into his presence. He came and he willingly laid down his life in the most wicked form of torture in the history of humanity. Because by his stripes, we are healed. He has paid for the sin of us all. There is nothing that you and I can do to counter the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It says there, he laid it down, took it up again. He, the righteous one, pays the penalty, offers us grace and forgiveness and new life in Him. How do we know that? Well, I'm going to spoiler alert, He doesn't stay dead. And He's not dead now. He rose. He conquered death by taking the stripes and offering the pure, spotless sacrifice. And by His Spirit, now He guides us to all truth. And He guides us to this place of understanding that God loves us. He's not some kind of, you know, Zeus kind of figure waiting to zap us with lightning. Nor is He a a distant God that doesn't care. But He is the one who took on flesh that we might know eternal life. Him. How then do we respond? We respond in faith and believing that I can't do this for me. I can't. And you can't do it for you. Jesus did it for all. He took the iniquity of us all, of every single one. And He wants us to know His life. The resurrection power. By faith we trust that He has paid for our sins. And now He offers in His love and His grace and in His glory the opportunity to know real freedom. Not the freedom, I mean, you know, America, the land of the free, the home of the brave. Not, even beyond that. It's the freedom to know that we are forgiven of our sin. And that He gives us the chance and the opportunity to glorify Him now and forever. 
When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he calls us then to a point of radical obedience that every breath we would take after that would be in glory to his name to tell others about what he has done for us. Because God desires a, a relationship with you. He wants to, he wants to hear your prayers. He want, and what, it even said that in Isaiah 53. Now I'm going to have to find it again. Verse 12, therefore I'll divide him a portion with the many and he will divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for those sinners, for those transgressors. He alone is the advocate that we have before the Father. And he calls us to pray in his name that we might see healing happen. So I ask you today, have you reached that, that place? Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ and recognize what He has done for you? And realize that the stripes that He took, the wounds that He endured for, were for our sin. And I say our intentionally. I could say your. But it was for everybody. And He offers that gift to anyone who would believe. In His name. Because God is love. I ask you today, have you received the forgiveness that came as a result of the stripes that were laid on His back? Will you trust Him for your salvation? It's a one-time step. And it's the most important decision you will ever make. What do I do with this Jesus? When you trust Him, He holds you for eternity. You are His. He calls us to radical obedience. See, there's... What we did up here is a beautiful picture, this baptism thing. Jesus did it, and he said to follow me in that. But it's not a typical thing to do. I mean, I hope you take a bath. But this is a step of obedience. It's nothing that saves us. This water signifies the burial of Jesus being raised in new life to Him. And it's just that. It's a step of trust. It's saying, I'm following my Lord and this is what He told me to do. I want to bless Him. Have you trusted Christ today and are you willing to follow Him in obedience? Baptism and serving Him. Only you can make that decision for you. I, I cannot do it. It is your decision today. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I pray now for the one who, who needs to place their trust in you, that you would give them the courage to walk in your name, to glorify you through obedience and faith. Lord, I thank you that you 
You showed me your truth. I thank you that you gave me the power to trust in you. And I pray for the one who needs to make that decision today. That you would do the same. That you would give them the courage. Give them the grace to walk in obedience to you. I thank you, Lord, for your son. I thank you for the forgiveness for our sins. I thank you for the stripes that healed us. For the hope in your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and the altar is open if you have a decision to make for Christ. If you need prayer, you can do that too. Let's be obedient to our Lord today and trust in Him.